Welcome to The Bandwidth, your first stop for collectible finance. Here at the Ban Arbitrage Network, we combine data and experience to help you understand the world of collectible finance. Father Ken here. Thank you for joining us today and building your knowledge in collectible finances. We have some amazing resources available for you today, but I wanted to start off by sharing a little bit about this episode. We are restarting the bandwidth under our own guise, and we are looking forward to what's to come with the bandwidth. That being said, my microphone gave out right at the beginning. And I didn't catch it until about midway through. So I apologize for that. We also have an amazing editor who will be able to edit and splice things together and get things to, to kind of work together for us. So I want to thank you for taking time and welcome our guest, Wolf. Wolf, how are you doing today? Hey, Father Ken. I'm doing uh, doing pretty well this week, or I guess these past few months, given the gap that we've had. So, you know, can't really can't really complain, obviously, some some suboptimal things, but uh, overall things have been going really, really well. So, uh, you know, as always, you know, thanks for having us on and hopefully we can, we can have some fun on this tonight. Well, if I was wondering, what are you working on specifically right now? Myself, I am working on a number of different things with work, but then also looking at different cards and trying to figure out how to arbitrage a little bit better and a little bit quicker and safer to be able to get those cards to me much quicker. What about you? What are you working on? Oh, yes, for sure. So, oh my goodness. My my first and foremost, to keep it most magic-related, and anybody who was in the Discord today, I was like a kid in a candy shop because I actually got four to six hours off from work. Uh, like, I mean, in terms of, of just like, I have time to myself. I kind of got everything done preemptively. I can start playing with toys. And Coda has created an API for ban data, which is the... It's the sexiest thing in the nerdiest way possible. It is exactly what, when I kind of started getting into this in 2018, I was like, how does this not exist? I wish it would exist. And now it exists and it's being served up to me in just the most amazingly easy way to interact with. Uh, and so for those of you who, who might not be very technically savvy, all an API does is it's, ba it's basically just taking pricing information for all of the cards in existence. And it delivers it directly to you through what is essentially a URL link. And then you get to pull it in, parse it. You can put it into a database. You can do your calculations. And what Coda has done, too, is we have our own MTG ban kind of identifier for all the cards, which most pre-existing vendors actually don't separate out foils for non-foils and the actual identification of a card, which was part of the hassle of separating everything out, which Coda did all of this. And so you can get the MTG ban ID along with the pricing of every single card. You can get the MTG JSON, which, you know, is what we've certainly heavily relied on. You can get the TCG ID. You can get the Card Kingdom ID. You can get all of that. And it all comes in nice cleanly delivered straight to your front door with the regular and the foil all of the pricing information and it is absolute heaven on earth he's got magic card market in there he's got all of the the things when you go look up a card on mtg ban so today i was just yeah it's it's going to be it's i'm going to completely revamp my newspaper based off of this uh, i'm going to be doing so so much it is i think it's it's absolutely massive for the industry, whether the industry recognizes it or wants to use it, I don't care. The fact that I get to have it, I'm going to make so much money. I'm going to have so much fun playing with the data. I, yeah, I'm just, I'm thrilled. I'm, I'm so thrilled. And I love, 
Coda is always is so humble. He, he created all of this. He puts the documentation and sends it to me, and I, I keep messaging him like, I think something's – oh, no, that was my bad. Oh, no, that was my bad. And he's just sending me like the Bob Ross gifs of happy little accidents. You know, you're getting there. Yeah, it's it's just been – it's been so much fun. He's he's clearly very talented. and uh, the the Honestly, one of the most powerful things that I've, I've really learned from him is you have a good skill set and you have a goal. There's a lot that you can – you can really accomplish just just digging in and doing it, which I think is 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 truly impressive. But uh, you know, I can go on for a little while longer. But I know you've also had some things going on. So how's it been going on your end? I know you know a couple months for you as well. I mean, I I transition quite often, but I think yeah, how's that uh, potential transition looking for you? Uh, as you know, I've been candidating for a bunch of different churches. I'm I'm in the the finals of a uh, candidate search. Um, I'm actually the last candidate for a pastoral position in southern Minnesota, so I'm kind of looking forward to what's happening next, but it's also got me at that point where I need to kind of pull back a little bit and pull my inventory off the shelves and uh, start packing it up. I've actually filled up quite a bit of my area with with packaged stuff. Um, I think there's there's 12, 1,500-pound boxes. There's, there's a you know, a whole five row, a whole three row, uh, and just random stuff that I keep on finding and keep on discovering new things that I had bought or stuff that is I'm just holding, commons, uncommons that might be worth something. I just have to get them listed or hold on to them. So no matter what happens in the next few months, um, I'm going to be having to reorganize cards and get them on the market or pull them off. So how about you? What are you up to? So I was just about ready to to jump in and brag that I've got low inventory and I'm so proud of myself for for keeping my inventory small. And then I looked up and I just did the math real quick and I realized I think I've got like fifteen thousand cards. <laughs> They're all in their boxes, but I was like, oh man, that is that's a lot of cards. And those were all ones too that I either individually sought out or boxes that I purchased after I blueprinted it. So and it it does add up quick, but. uh yeah, no, the tools obviously I think are, are insanely helpful, especially, you know, you got blueprint for the bulk now. You've got that added in there. It bulks your game. You've got, you know, the higher end stuff. If you're looking at, you know, the Japanese market, you got Harayuya on the buy list. If you're looking over at Europe, you got, uh, magic card market included. You got card trader. I'm a big fan of card trader, even though, uh, I'm pretty sure the EU, uh, TCG market is on fire right now, uh, whether it's from technical difficulties, I'll, I'll phrase it that way, or, or some questionable business practices, whatever it is. That, uh, that entire environment seems like a house of cards right now. So I'm very curious to see how that progresses, but. Wolf, I'm wondering, how's your new job going? I'm just kind of curious. What, what have you been working on? What are you being forced to learn? What are you? trying to figure out i love it so i've i've done my bio several times i was a i was a lost youth missed probably the most four four most important years you can have you have a planet 18 year gold and i didn't get there till i was 22 so i figured out i wanted to code at 22 kind of taught myself taught myself what i got to to get to the position where i'm at now and now basically what i do that I love about this role versus my last role is the last role I would finish my job in an hour and a half and I was bored to the gourd, like nothing to do. My new role, I am pairing with somebody who knows JavaScript. I'm pairing with somebody who knows uh, Python. I'm pairing with somebody who knows the 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 measures and calculations and how everything's being put together. So it's literally like eight hour boot camps every day with with 
essentially like a, a company expert and it's phenomenal right? and then you know here's a day where you know what we're going to give you a project solve the project and it's it's not like something that takes two steps it's a you got to communicate with six different departments you got not even that i mean you even bring it together okay now you've got to create something so that now this is completely automated it is uh, absolutely wonderful in that it is you know truly truly challenging and and just forcing me to learn and it's lovely because they're also covering all of the courses that i'm buying now and a lot of my technical gear so so the biggest thing, if anybody's actually, if you're young and you're looking to get into code, college degree is kind of bullshit in terms of code. Um, don't get me wrong, college is extremely important. I'm not trying to diminish that, but the what you are actually learning, there are IBM certificates you can get. There are Google certificates that you can get. There are plenty of courses online that can give you a consolidated approach. And it's still going to take you like six months to learn, but it's just like straight up, here's what you need to learn. Here's like a real case, you know, a real world example of what, you know, I had to do or something that you might have to do. And here's the code that you're going to have to do to to enact it. Um, and so, uh, I mean, you know, being the cool kid that I am, uh, I know last year, I think I probably got 7K worth of bonuses for my old job. And they all went into courses um, be, just because for me, like it, it's just the way that it has to be in order to, first of all, keep up and continue to climb. It's just, you know, you can't stop. You got to keep, you feel like a mouse on the wheel, but you know, there's the next thing that you can learn. Like all my entire obsession with our forecasting on, you know, that, that we have running here, which I'm actually currently disappointed with the current iteration. I'm going to revert back to the old one after some refinements um, was, I mean, I spent six months just going ham on that and then keeping up with it from there. And now, uh, from here, it's going to be moving into to other areas. It's just a matter of, you know, you got to keep up to date. You got to keep continuing to learn. I feel like just the moment you stay stagnant, especially in, in tech and software, you give it five years and you're going to be out of date at the rate the industry is moving. So, uh, you know, it, it, I consider just constantly reinvesting in yourself. But now at this current company, you know, they're very excited for me. They they really want me to move into a, a more of a management position uh, in a couple of years here. So. They are just kind of throwing stuff at me and I am not going to say no. And that's the, you know, that's the difference between giving somebody a fish and teaching them to fish. Any of the specs that I mentioned, if you just go out and blindly buy at current market price, you're going to hurt yourself. <laughs> like you just, you just will. Um, but the fun for me is because, uh, real life has kind of taken me kind of away from the hobby largely this last month or so. Uh, I, I wasn't as up to date with say Strixhaven or, uh, I, I'm keeping up now, uh, getting better back into it with Modern Horizons, but I wasn't really aware of a lot of the cards that came out, but a couple of the ones that showed up on my radar. And I'm, first of all, before I even go into these cards, let's talk about the methodology since I've just kind of preached that. There is something that I always tell people to look at when you look at a in terms of how good of an opportunity is it? Look at Card Kingdom, look at what they're selling it at, what's their retail, and what is their buy list. You want to see Card Kingdom maxes out, unless your your name is Soul Ring, and there's a couple other exceptions, at 67% on their buy list. So if they're trying to sell a card for $100, the max they will ever offer is 67%. And because that's a closed system, that's a really good relationship to follow. So you know, Card Kingdom's got, you know, they're only offering 40 today. Next week, they're offering 45. The week after, 50. The week after, 55. That is way better than watching the open, chaotic market. 
That is just the fundamental way because you you need to look at a closed system because in an open market like TCG or a lot of marketplaces, it's chaos. And any idiot who, and and it's not idiot, but anybody who, you know, might be out of the loop, whatever it is, they just, you know, they bought at a low price. They don't care what they sell it at. You know, you've got all of these different moving parts. But when you look at a single entity like Card Kingdom, you look at, you know, Star City Games, Channel Fireball. They are looking at what can we buy it at and what can we sell it at. And that closed system creates proportion and a review of a card that is extremely helpful. The weakness there is their market share. You know, how much are are these individual vendors selling versus TCG player, which is huge. And that's fair, which is also why I am now uh, obviously going to break my own rule and compare Card Kingdom buy list versus the open market, because something that is important to understand is there are a lot of cards, a lot of cards. In fact, as I look at my my query right now, which I've I've really highly kind of refined, there are 218 cards right now above the $10 mark that every seller on TCG would be better off buy listing. They would make more money buy listing all of these cards than they would trying to sell them mm-hmm. on the open marketplace. But they're not even they're not looking. They're not even trying to 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 compete essentially. In in a uh, I guess I would say a competent fashion, but in a business like fashion, and you know, getting to, going through this logic, I mentioned before, you usually reach a sixty seven percent with Card Kingdom. That's the max they'll offer. However, what happens when you take Card Kingdom's buy list offer and now you compare it to TCG's open retail price? What you'll see is there are a lot of cards that Card Kingdom is actually offering, say, ninety percent what it would sell for on TCG. And now any competent seller who's ever sold on TCG knows that Card Kingdom takes a 15% fee off of what you sell it at minimum. So when you reach that 85, 90% backing on Card Kingdom, you're actively losing money. Not only are you losing money in that you're literally losing money, but you're also losing money because you're waiting for a buyer to come along and buy your card. You're waiting for a buyer to do this. And that's lost time on top of it. And then you factor in postage, you factor in a variety of other factors uh, and the fact that you could send all of it in just as one bulk order to a buy list and be thrilled. And then let alone, you start factoring in credit at these places. So what I've done for a lot of these cards uh, that I'm going to talk about today is I compared their buy list backing versus their TCG open market price. And what I was really amazed by was there are a lot of cards in standard, which usually never happens, whose market prices right now are just insanely low. It does not make sense. First and foremost is this Galazeth Prismari. And I will also forewarn anybody that I always look at the most basic version of the card. None of the EA, none of the shaded border, none of the etched. I don't even keep, I can't even keep up with all the different versions. And I'm in the, the weeds on this. So I like to just always look at the cheapest, most affordable versions and look at how they're behaving. And if you go look at Galazeth on TCG right now, I believe there's a direct seller who's trying to sell it for $12.74, who is actively losing money trying to sell it for $12.74 instead of just selling it to Card Kingdom. Just mm-hmm. straight up. And he's not alone, too. I, you know, I picked on this one seller. There's plenty of direct seller, or non-direct sellers beneath him. And they all would be better suited just going to a buy list and making their money there. They would make more money. And I bet they would probably have other cards that they could send in with this card, which would then save them money on shipping. But usually what I see with cards this recent from, from brand new sets is their their buy list offer absolutely plummets. 
So my working theory right now is there's so there's such a variety of products out there. You're really starting to segment your your consumer base. You're also starting, I think, to probably possibly alienate some, but definitely segmenting it to where people who just want a normal magic card, there's not enough people buying just the poorest version of the card. And that is in a weird way kind of a rising tide on all boats in terms of all the other additions because in a weird way, if nobody's buying the cheapest version, you know, we kind of saw this with foils where foils used to be, you know, the most expensive, but now you enter in 30 different foil versions. Foils are no longer the premium. Regulars are the premium. Now we've entered in all these other versions of the card. Nobody's buying the regular version. So its price is oddly rising despite all these other cool regular versions, or, you know, not regular, all these cool other extended art, special etched versions of the card. And it's really fascinating just to see that trend from a consumer base uh, who are really voting with their wallets. So the lesson here is that you need to know your market. You need to know who you're selling to, when you're selling it to them, and why you're selling it to them. If you just want to sell on the open market, you got to pay attention to your, your other options of where to sell. You know, you look at Card Kingdom right now. Card Kingdom's offering eleven dollars on this card. If you sell it at retail at at fourteen fifty, let's 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 give it fifteen bucks. You're going to be down a, a buck buck seventy five right from the start, mm-hmm. and then you got shipping fees on top of that. So that's uh, on a fifteen dollar card, you got another uh, ninety five cents uh, for all the product there. Um, mm-hmm. So you're already out. You know, you're you're losing money at that point, and you've got your time mm-hmm. invested in it as well. So we we take the we take the bonus from Card Kingdom at thirty percent, and automatically right there you're at fourteen and a half bucks, fifteen dollars, no problem. So just figuring out where you're selling, why you're selling it there without fees, you know, it's kind of cool. And to be able to think about the fact that Galazeth Prismari is a rare card, mythic rare from Strixhaven, and it's still holding a price of eleven dollars. Mm-hmm. The other thing too, here just to to address a comment that was thrown out. I think the lesson here, in my opinion, which again, you know, if you guys do your own research or you, you do your own analysis, you can obviously disagree. Take that out. I say take that out. Take that out with Card Kingdom. Sure, it might continue to go up, but it doesn't matter. Take the win. Take the win that the rest of the market is asleep on this and they're not recognizing it and continue to hammer home on it until it's no longer paying you out. Because mm-hmm. it makes no sense to try, in my opinion, to try and wait because the opportunity cost includes your time. So take the out now and start building that kind of consideration that the market is asleep on this. You see this with Chulane and Corvold and all these brawl decks where you have a non-foil version. If you look at their buy list, they're all up like four, three, four times higher than their foil versions. That's also thanks to the gaming company, but you know, they are what they are. But at the same time, anytime like I go to buy these things, uh, these products, I also have that now in the back of my mind that I know that I can continue to capitalize on that and the rest of the market won't properly evaluate it. So when you look at something like, you know, this, this Galazeth and the next one I'm going to mention, it really is now that you see it and you're ahead of the trend, you can factor that into your business model now and continue to just send it into who, whichever vendor has an algorithm determining their pricing. And they're still making a profit off of it. And you're literally just riding the undercurrents of the market by paying attention to where people are voting with their wallets. So mm-hmm. continue to make that money. Don't waste more time. I think trying to to ride that market trend, just take them take the money and run, understanding that as soon as the market realizes what's happening here, and that could be tomorrow, that could be a year, that could be five years, doesn't matter. Whenever they do, 
you will be out. So, you know, if it's around for longer, you can begin to be more flexible. In my opinion, take, take the buy list out and run. Oh my goodness. That's quite the lesson. You have uh, another card that you're specking on right now. One, one that gives us a, a pretty good lesson as well. Go ahead. You got another card from, from Strixhaven? Yes, indeed. In fact, I think you'll, you will all, if you're looking these cards up, notice a general theme. Uh, although, to be honest with you, when I picked these cards, I didn't plan it, but I enjoy it that it's there. This next card is Belladros Witherbloom, and it is exactly in the same vein as Galadros, or what is it, Galazeth, excuse me, mm-hmm. tells you my competency here um, in terms of, of knowing the roster of the, this most recent set, so I do apologize. Um, but it, it's in the exact same vein that the cheap version, you know, it's just another, and this one's a $20 card. The other one was a $10 card. This is a $20 card. So I like to see that it's it's kind of breaching these different price buckets. I like to bucket cards in terms of 0 to 5, 5 to 10, and then 10 to 20. Uh, and what I wanted to point out with Belladros really quickly, because I think we really did hammer it home with the last one, with Galazeth. Mm-hmm. But it's transcending the the price tiers. It's happening in each and every single one of them, which is super fascinating. Usually, you know, you'll see, you know, something that's affecting foils of a niche old set. No, this is a trend that is affecting each price tier of of cards in the modern era, which is, I think, I, I just think that's tremendously powerful. If you can figure out the proper ways to leverage that uh, and just start churning into buy lists. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. This is, it's just gold. I love it. I love cards like this, you know, stuff that, you know, are kind of hard to find in the local market. But when you start considering what they're selling for, you start getting a little more excited about them. For sure. It's, it's cool. Uh, so another one has been a bit of an older card. And one that was as actually reprinted fairly recently, but one whose growth recently, and this is one where you know, I'm, I'm definitely like, when I bring this up in chat, and it's probably going to be in the next few days, I'm going to add Brian and say, why? Why? Because uh, I don't understand the why. But Ensnaring Bridge out of Stronghold. This card, the <laughs> the growth, so, so something fascinating for me, which I watch across all cards, is I watch how rapidly is the market price increasing versus the buy list and what you generally tend to see is that the market price vastly outstrips the buy list because people get excited about it they flock to it they buy it up kind of irrationally and the buy list is usually the basement kind of keeping up underneath it saying okay you know people might have overbought this we're going to wait them out see if it sticks okay it didn't okay and we can bring our buy list offer down buy in potentially for next spec Really, you know, it, the buy list is usually what sets the foundation. With something like uh, in Staring Bridge, specifically the Stronghold version, it's the opposite. The buy list is in love with this card. <laughs> the buy list is absolutely in love with this card. And what's fascinating to me is that there's clearly enough attention on it that the sellers on the open market are selling it up to the same price point as the buy list, but they're still losing money on it. So anybody who's who kind of in our, uh, I think in our positions who's might be making an offer or looking at this card, you can offer thirty percent market, and you're offering thirty percent below buy list, and the bar the buy list is more bullish than the market. Everything about that is the sexiest position that I want to be in on a spec. So uh, I just thought that was a fun one. It's a bit of an older card, might be harder to find, but I just kind of liked that. Uh, I guess that relationship in a weird way. 
it just in terms of price points and how it kind of goes against the norm of what at least I'm used to. Yeah, you think about you think about cards like Ensnaring Bridge. I've been watching this card for the last several months, actually, and I've been just scratching my head at what's happening with it as well because uh, it was a forty dollar card for a long time, and mm-hmm. uh, then it got printed into Oblivion. You know, three or four sets, one right after another, and man, it it's just it went way down. And I think what's happening is it's there's some market correction here from it. It's slowly getting sucked back up. You know, I think it has that par- that price memory again. And uh, I'm just interested into seeing where it goes. So yeah, my my best working theory for it right now is that Watsi and I have I've said this for months. I just feel the need to reiterate it here. Watsi re- has begun to reprint things. But they reprint them for so short a period and they reprint them and okay, it's not the same version as it was before, or it's gonna be in uh, you know, three new versions and not even the old one. And so something that we've seen recently is a lot is a has been a large run on the old cards, like the old borders, the traditional, and you see that even too with Time Spiral, which kind of got me out of hot water we talked about earlier in terms of the attractiveness of those old borders and people kind of going to them. And something that I think is interesting about Ensnaring Bridge is that it was printed in, I believe, reprinted in Masters 25. And that was actually like a traditional uh, supplementary set, which you really don't get anymore. That Like you don't really get sets that get three months on a print run anymore. It's much smaller and much more, you know, fast paced even now than it was then. But even still, you can see here, um, because the Masters 25 version, you don't really see see much movement with there's not much interest even though i think kind of the gerard flavor on the new one is cooler uh but again you know that's not my say so i think it's fascinating to see that relationship revealing i would i would claim revealing itself on a card like this as opposed to cards say uh and we're not going to go into detail on this but i would say if you haven't look up avenger of zendikar from the secret layers versus all of its cheaper edition <laughs> and i promise you avenger's secret lair is where you want to be over all the others because it's a cheap card but the sexy version is what everyone's flocking to um so right. yeah so that kind of just dynamic is just becoming very pervasive just in the new model that watsi has put out and again look at where people are voting with their wallets and these trends reveal themselves and that to me, is I, I enjoy looking at this data almost, not almost, I definitely enjoy looking at the data and these trends more than selling the cards themselves. All right, so we, we talk about cards, we talk about these lessons, and mm-hmm. it's figuring out when to get them, where to get them from, and then where to out them. These are all things that, that we have to be thinking about constantly. And it's one of those things where if you aren't up to date on what's going on, then you aren't paying attention to the market as much as you think you are. And so yeah. we just have to keep getting after the market, getting after the market, get after the market and figure it out. You know, we're, we're kind of coming up on that summer slump time. You know, there's, there's a season for, for magic and yeah. it kind of, kind of balances through, you know, middle of December, things really slow down. Uh, things are really hot in September, October, November, but then everything's slow in December. And then things start to pick up with the new set in January. But then as soon as we hit summer, we we slow way down and we end up with some crazy corset in the middle of summer that nobody really wants to play or crack open. <laughs> and then come come August, September, people are just like, well, it's back to school. I get to see all my friends at school. I'm going to go play. 
And we're going to get back into the routine of fall, which is magic season. It's great. But we're in the middle of that summer slump right now. But one of the weirdest things is, is organized play is starting up. Like it's starting up, you know, three months before I thought it would. Uh, I I was thinking we'd get organized play in September. No, we are back up and running come, come July. And I find that really interesting because what we're doing is we're balancing that summer slump with the start of organized play starting up. And people aren't really thinking about rotation right now. They're just scrambling to get decks together to be able to play in store again because that's what people want to do. We can get into the politics of of COVID. We can get into all of that. But that doesn't help us understand what's happening right now in our communities. So I have a question for you, Father Ken, because yeah. I, th- and I think this is, is going to be very useful because I believe <laughs> identifying that rotation and an organized play kind of seasonality is, is very key, or at least it was in terms of learning magic finance um, a few years ago. And I, I, I still think it is now, but the reason why I say was is because organized play has kind of taken a hit with magic in terms of the pro tour or, you know, the pro play kind of mm-hmm. largely being shut down, as well as we have seen almost 18 months of just straight growth in the TCG industry. So how how do you think that balance is going to reestablish itself? Because I do, I I do think it will reestablish itself. Um, you know, going into this summer, but I do think it might be a little bit more jarring than it might historically indicate or or might have been. So so what are your thoughts on that? I actually have some very strong opinions, and I think that my strong opinions are are going to create issue for our stores. The store is going to be the most important aspect of organized play over the next three years. How stores run tournaments, what tournaments they emphasize, and uh, how they reward players for playing in those tournaments is going to drive magic for the next three years. And I, I hate to say it that way because uh, we we look at the game and the game has always been about having fun, getting together with your friends and playing the cards that you have. Well, we haven't had stores for the last three years. So people are learning this new process of buying their cards online mm-hmm. and we haven't had stores. So what do we do to play with each other? Well, we're going to play on arena. Well, we've got a ton of new players playing on Arena that are going to have to find real live magic cards and figure out if they want to go to the store to play. Because what we've realized is, is we aren't going to have a Pro Tour. That's that's gone. We aren't going to have the the Weekend Warriors playing all weekend long for these big tournaments on, on Twitch. That's That's gone too. I doubt we're going to see large Wizards organized uh, tournament play. Uh, by whomever, whatever vendor they choose to work with, to be able to pr- put on these giant GPs, because it's yeah. it's just not going to happen anymore. So where's that gap going to be? It's almost like we we're going back to the PPTQ structure that we had, you know, five years ago. That's where I cut my chops. Like I'd be the guy driving an hour and a half to go help a store run a PPTQ for for one day, and there'd be anywhere. Uh, the smallest one I did was eight people sealed pptq you cannot go to a top eight draft you have eight people we are we are now playing you know we are (laughs) we are in the midst of it 
you know, it's a, it's a win or yeah. lose. And, and then the largest ones I've ran have, have been, you know, 60, 70 people with a, a staff of three or four people. And you think about that, everything changes. And now we're in that spot where Wizards is actually going to be promoting regional play patterns and regional series. The issue that we're running into, though, is judges don't want to do it anymore. Judges want to be paid. Exactly. And that's like the most, and like, I, I, I don't always, like, I am one of the first people to say that people on social media are the first ones to grab their pitchforks for no reason. But when, when judges say, Hey, we'd actually like to get like to be paid in money instead of cardboard every three months, which really doesn't even come close to a fractional cost of the time that we're putting forward. I'm just kind of sitting there saying, you know, I got to be on the side of the guys who want to be paid for their time and their effort. And, you know, you got to go through tests to be a judge. You got to go through, you've got to get references. So first you've got to network in the industry. After networking, you've got to put in further academic interest, which kind of, you know, magic players inclinate to for sure. But all of this effort deserves to have a monetary reward. It just does. Uh, Yeah. And I think one of the biggest luxuries that magic has had for the longest time and one that i don't think any other following uh, tcg ccg whatever it is will ever have is that kind of i w- of just such a massive following of i will just work for free just to be around this because when you see you know when you see the the main player making all of this money and they're not passing any of it on to right. the people who make the events possible i mean that's just mm. well store owners yeah. are really really quick to point out that they made zero money at their event. And and if you're around the finance industry at all, you realize that that's just wrong. If you get it's a, yeah, it's a marketing get, event for them, right? Yeah, if you get 30 people into your shop, what incidentals are you selling? You have to be really really poor at running a shop not to make money on incidentals in your shop, you know? If, if you run a if you run a tournament at at a base zero level, like you're going to break even on it, all your incidentals, every every card that you sell for that tournament is now is now bonus on top of it, and people are scrambling to get cards. Like I brought my binder to a tournament that I was running, and people were buying stuff out of it once, and you know you kind of got to get it past the store owner and the t- the tournament organizer to be able to do that, and you can't do it when you're judging. But here I am beforehand in my in my regular everyday clothes, they know I'm going to judge the event, but they're just like, Ken, I need some cards. What do you have in your binder that I can pay you cash for? And it's like, here, and you make yeah. money. Now, that's backpack grinding. It's not something I would recommend, but people are desperate sometimes at these tournaments, and they want cards when they want them and how they want them as quickly as they can. We have a, a turning point in the industry right now. Judge Academy is restructuring again. This is the third time in three years, in two years, that they're restructuring their their statements to figure out how best to serve uh, the judging community, but then also the organized play community. Crazy part is, is they haven't added a single new card game to the mix. And we've yeah. had Pokemon with high instances of needing judges, of needing training, of people just desperate for hmm. more and more and more events, more and more cards. And then we take it to the next level. We've got this cool new card game called Flesh and Blood. I, I don't know if you've heard about it, but people are actually playing it. And I, I'm just trying to make money on it. And I have no idea what's going on with the game at all. But I know I'm, I'm hoping to pull in a, a, you know, $1,000 this month just on yeah. Flesh and Blood. 
Something it's, that I love about Flesh and Blood is just that they are filling a gap that, and they're not being shameful about it. Like they're just being very bold in that Watsy is basically kind of abandoning spike players, tournament players, mm-hmm. all of that. And Flesh and Blood is saying, hey, we're here for you. For, for that direct group. And it's going to be so fascinating to see how that strategy works in terms of what, is, what does it take to build a core consumer group? I am so fascinated to see that. But uh, it's, yeah. it's going to be wild, I tell you what. People still love the complexity of Magic, but they also want to play in tournaments. Like yep. there's there's a competitive nature to being able to play in a tournament that that people want to have. I oh, love yes. it. I love grinding a tournament. At the same time, I love having the rules right, and I may mm-hmm. mess them up from time to time, but I try not to. But when we think about organized play starting up and the tournament and the the pro tour getting cut, and then grand prix getting cut, where are people going to go play? One of the regional teams out of Chicago is trying to start up their series to launch this summer. They cannot get enough judges to do it. That's just the way it is right now. You've got stances at your local game shops. In spite of the state and federal changes that are going on in the region, there is a group of stores in Madison, all of the stores actually, realized, hey, we're not going to open up for organized play this summer. We may start up in the fall, but we're not following Wizards of the Coast guidelines. We're going to do it on our own, which every LGS has the right to do that. And every LGS is not forced to run events. But when you get everybody together that says, hey, we're not going to do organized play, where are those players going to go? Like the biggest thing, and please do correct me, Father Ken, if you disagree, but like what what I feel like what is happening right now is Watsi built a community over the last 20 years, and then they got bought by a public company. And the public company is not focused on building a community. They're focused on profit maximization on top of a community that has been built. So you want to make as much money from, you don't care how many people. It can be as few people as possible. You just want to make the max amount of money off of the current consumer group. And even if the consumer group gets smaller, if you're still generating slightly more money, it doesn't matter that the consumer group is getting smaller. And that, to me, I think fundamentally is where I get worried versus something like another TCG like Flesh and Blood, who is so focused on just building a community. Doesn't matter if it's going to work out. And I kind of expect Flesh and Blood to crash and fail. However, their approach I love because we will lose money to build a community now. That tells me that there is a founder and an owner of that company who understands there is a goal, there is a mission. I don't care if I lose money because I know the profit will be in building the community long term versus a public company which bought a company who already had that kind of ownership and leadership and just says, I'm going to squeeze it dry. And that's that to me is really at the end of the day where I kind of end on magic. And I think magic's probably got another solid 20 years, even at this pace. However, I think the sun is definitely overall setting in terms of building a community, given their current stance of just profit maximization off of really shrinking and diminishing and punishing their their fault like anybody who wants to be committed to the game is really punished for it in terms of time money effort and and money like because you're paying them so all of the the pros of kind of keeping up with them outside of what was already historically built is disappearing uh, are disappearing excuse me mm-hmm. versus you know other tcgs that are entering the sphere 
And the difference between something like Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh, those are collectibles. That's not a playable card game. Magic is a playable card game. It's also a collectible, but it's, you know, players want to play. Um, and I, right. yeah, for me, that that's my rant. I, I yeah, <laughs> I apologize. So I, I got to be real honest with you. People are going to play where, where they're going to play. Um, mm-hmm. I, I know of several competitive groups in the local area that have all continued to host weekly tournaments in their homes. There is more than one. They've asked me to come and judge them even. And I'm just <laughs> like, I don't have time to do that right now, but I would love to. It's just unbelievable that they want judges in their homes for these tournaments. It's, it's great. I absolutely love it. I mean, hey, props to the the brand that that Watsi's created, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's amazing. But I think kind of too, in, in terms of you know the balance, you know, reaching all the way back to the main topic before I went off on my rant as I always do. So I apologize there. Oh, um, that's but fine. in terms <laughs> of balancing the rotation with you know organized play starting up, I think we all expect hard sales to slow as we begin to head outside. I personally. I spent this entire last weekend walking through Soho, which is the shopping district in Manhattan with my wife, solely because we could. I think we bought maybe $200 worth of stuff for like a day and a half of walking around, but we were just so excited to get outside and be there. So how do you think that is going to impact card sales overall? Well, we always have the issue of weather. When it's nice out, people want to be outside. Yeah. It's just human nature to want to go outside and want to go out and do stuff. That's what we struggle with all summer long, you know, especially up here in the Northland where you could have a 70 degree day and a 50 degree night. As soon as the sun goes down up here, people are outside. They're enjoying the fire pit. They're enjoying time with their friends. It's the same struggle everywhere. There's always something to do during the summer. Fishing, hunt, uh, you know, swimming, going to the lake, going to the beach, um, you know, spending time, you know, cruising in the cars and going to movies. You know, these are all things that people want to be doing. And we're going to have so many more activities than we've ever had before opening up this summer. Oh, yeah. I wonder if we're creating a wasteland for magic this summer. But at the same time, we have so many people that that are just like, yeah, I'm, I'm here. I am ready to play magic again. It just baffles me. I think the nice thing, uh, and people, you can fight me on this, I think Magic has um, accidentally, and through no effort or intent of their own, created a nice little kind of external wall around our industry. If you see Pokemon beginning to collapse, sell Magic. Sell Magic immediately. And I'm not like, you have that nice little foreshadowing of that is a very weak and very new community. If you see any weaknesses in Pokemon, sell magic and sell it immediately. Don't hold out for price trends to change. Sell it and be happy. And if magic survives and grows stronger, excellent. It's going to be, that's all the more resilient for the next opportunity. Personally, and again, I'm no financial advisor, but this is 100% going to be my strategy. I'm going to sell it all. I'll sell it all, take whatever loss. If I see a weakness in Pokemon and I see it really starting to hurt that industry, I know it's going to hit magic. And I will sell it all. And I will rebuy in with the same amount of capital. I'll keep it on the side because that is my expectation. They're, they're my little kind of, uh, what do you call them, signal fish yeah. um, for, for, the, for the industry as a whole. Because if going outside really begins to harm any of the TCG industries, it's going to hit them first. They're the most vulnerable in my mind. And then it's going to collapse back on the rest. 
And that's where, uh, you know, I see that first, you know, signal flare in the air, sell it all, sell it all immediately. Uh, and I'll go from there. Yeah. Canary in the coal mine. That's the correct term. Yeah. It's fun to watch. I'm telling you. It's nervous. It's nerve wracking, to be honest with you, because, you know, you want it to succeed. But at the same time, from a business perspective, you really have to you have to think objectively from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Um, thinking objectively about things as well. Organized play with magic. You know, I've mentioned several times that it's it, it feels like they're kind of killing it off because it's not very profitable for them in terms of the immediacy of the events. Uh, but what are your thoughts on on organized play, Ken? Because I know you're you're the judge. You're, you've been to way more organized events than I have. Yeah, yeah. So organized play is going to uh, really be dependent upon the local community and how well the shops run their events. If shops want to sell cards, they have to host standard events and standard tournaments. They have to host drafts. And then they have to be willing to buy whatever cards come up and make solid offers to people. So when you consider, you know, what people are willing to to really do on a, on any given day, if the shop is offering standard, you got to follow through with standard, you know, and it's just taking that time. All right. Well, how do I sell standard? How do I get standard cards? These are all questions that that shops have to answer. And if you don't buy enough, you know, booster boxes, you're asking the same question. So what do I do? How do I manage this, and how do I how do I just get the stuff that I need to be able to run good tournaments? And it comes back to that that same thing that we've said before: is we have to source the cards that people want to play in our tournaments in our in our shop. And if we don't have them, what are people going to do? Well, they're going to play something else. They're going to play where they have cards. They're going to buy cards elsewhere. They're not going to necessarily crack packs like like Pokemon players do. Um, they're going to try and buy them online and get them as cheap as possible. Then again, I have seen people show up to Friday Night Magic, spend $120 on a box, crack the whole thing, hoping to get one card. And and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. It's It's different. It's fascinating to hear you talk about, you know, you need to have the cards on hand because I've actually had a couple vendors actually reach out to me asking me about how uh, of possible ways to optimize that process so curious just to hear it in a more broad sense of, of how folks might be uh you know you, you've got to have that kind of inventory on hand and if things start moving in either direction you got to well, begin to optimize it right yeah so i know i know one local shop uh, that does it really well what they end up doing is they end up they end up purchasing reprints of cards as soon as they see them so they'll go and they'll they'll purchase you know 16 copies of a reprinted card just to have it on hand for people that need to that or want to play it and mm-hmm. then they'll buy anything that that people have so they're actively talking to their players they're actively engaged in their community and then they're willing to go and buy from from some of the larger distributors on the same day that a card's printed or spoiled just to have it on hand because people are going to want to buy it if they don't buy it from you if you don't have that brand loyalty in your community they're going to buy it online and you're going to lose any type of profit any type of community that you thought you had are those the lgs's that also host events or no so I've got one LGS that has been hosting events through COVID unofficially. Um, they sound like savvy. They sound like uh, folks who know how to run a business and they know what a lost leader is. Yeah. So they are they are great people. I absolutely love them. Um, 
you know, they hire me every single time that they have a, uh, a need for a, for an organized play judge. And, uh, they hire me to come down, to run the whole thing, uh, start to finish, to be the, the guy and to train up their judges. And so I, I get to, I get to show up and, and be a part of what they're doing. And I get to see how they run business and they've brought in vendors mm-hmm. when they've been out of cards. I'm just like, you're bringing in a vendor. And he said, he looks at me and says, Ken, they're giving me 10% off of everything that they sell. I said, what? Yeah. I, I gotta have people here and I've got to have cards. I don't have cards right now. So I brought them in and they're going to sell and they give me 10%. It seems like a win to me. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And then the smallest tournament I've ran for them was uh, like 42 people, mm-hmm. you know, and it turns into an all-day ordeal, and they take care of their folks, and they take care of their judges. They make sure the tournament runs well, so it's fun to you watch You want to them. talk of, yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you preach into the choir, at least with me, in terms of, and, and I think this is the fundamental way to get into, into any industry, is to volunteer for the jobs that nobody else wants to do. like. Right. You know, and and literally, and and in a weird case, and in kind of what you're describing, which I think is kind of terrible but awesome at the same time, is judging is kind of that in terms of you're going to show up and you're going to work for free and do the job that, you know, nobody else was going to do. But in doing so, you also see so much, right? And Mm -hmm. you're able to pick up so much. So honestly, you know, if they, if Watsi wanted to start turning around and started to to sell judging as as internships to to kids in college who, you know, if you want to, you know, you pass this test and you go from there. I think that would be a fundamental, like that would be a phenomenal way for them to to keep their their approach. But I, I wonder if they'll be that clever. But it does kind of diminish the overall quality of the higher tiers of judges because you got to start paying somebody at a point, right? Right. Um, uh, now, but you know, mm-hmm. I I don't like to talk about my personal pay publicly a whole lot. But you know, if you offer somebody a, a box to judge an event for a whole Saturday. That's kind of ridiculous. Like when you consider each pack is is four bucks and you get thirty six packs and you might you might get eighty dollars of value out of that box and then you take fifteen percent fees off of it, then you're getting into trouble. You know? You're you're talking about a you know, you know, a sixty eight dollar day if you crack everything and sell it right away. That doesn't seem like a very good Saturday to me. You know, I, I don't want to walk away with product. I want to walk away with, with value. And I want to walk away with, with knowing that, that I'm taken care of. Like I could pay for my gas and eat three meals that day type of thing. The other thing too, is those days are not your classic eight hour work day too. No. Like when I run a tournament, I leave, I leave my house at 7am and I get back if I'm lucky by nine o'clock at night. So you're talking about a 14 hour day. Yeah. I was, I was assuming on, on the safety, just 12. Like minimum yeah. twelve, and I mean that comes to, and I'm assuming with like the lowest of low minimum wage minimum, that's like that's 115 bucks minimum, minimum like yeah. hard cash. There's no there's no fucking about with fees or, or or costs or anything else. And if you can't afford an event with you know say four or five people where you're paying them that, you're yeah your event shouldn't be happening. Yeah, and now it's an event that no matter what you believe about COVID, that is a, an essential worker level event. You're talking about needing to pay somebody 15 to $20 an hour just to be there. 
Like yep. you're putting yourself at risk being around 200 people for an entire day. And when I say 200 people, you've got 50 people playing in the tournament and then you've got people coming in and out of the store the whole time asking you questions. Yeah. It turns really ridiculous really quick. Yeah. You you should yeah, be sure. you should be looking at 20 dollars an hour minimum, especially with all the information and knowledge that you put in and and the time and effort. You need to I be said taken it at care of. Eight. I literally said it at eight for zero effort walking in, assuming you're going to pay the lowest to the low wherever it's acceptable. I think 15 is more fair, and I think 20 is appropriate for the skills required for the position you're doing. Um, so just, just to explain my foundational numbers to anybody listening, <laughs> um, I think Father Ken is right, 100%, but just to, to explain the, the low basis of where I was coming from in terms of, he was mentioning, you know, you might get $60 overall. And I was just going like, even if you were to pay somebody nothing, it should be at least one fifteen. Right. Yeah. And I just i I helped run a regionals tournament. You know, as a as a you know almost forty year old, it was my first tournament running it as a judge as a level one, and I was the second person in a two hundred. No, I wasn't the second person. I was you know one of the judges on a staff team. And they handed me 27 packs as I walked out the door. And I just scratched my head and said, never again. I'm never doing this again. That is not enough packs to do to be worth my while to come drive two and a half hours to run an event. It's like, well, it, it still would be the same way. Yeah. If, if you yeah. want to make it worth my mile to run something, you're going to have to be willing to give me an entire day, you know, pays plus yep. my pto time it's yep. it's ridiculous yep, yep, yep. so i'm sorry yep. it's i'm I'm just ranting now and now we're doing no it's with... it's for sure it's it's one of the reasons why i love i love watching people get flustered looking at something like flesh and blood versus magic and wondering why people love flesh and blood in terms of their focus on a local community which is exactly what magic used to do um <laughs> And again, I think it's very likely that Flesh and Blood fails. I, I truly do. However, I think their emphasis on it and the, re the the reception it's received from the community, especially the community that can spend, is insane. For me, like you know, when you listen to when you're listening to a conversation and you know you hear that one thing that somebody says who reveals their real character, you know, it it, it you, you perk up. For me, that's what I hear with Flesh and Blood. So even if they fail. I think that sentiment is something that Watsi has left behind. And I think that is purely due to being owned by a public company. And I really do think that mantle is now left up to anybody to grab. Uh, and, and, you know, you're seeing it from the most enfranchised folks who want to understand the rules of the game and keep up with it. The judges, you know, you don't pay us. You don't, we see you growing, but you're not carrying us with that growth. How dare you? You see it with the players, the spikes saying, Hey, look, we love to play this game, but you don't care about us because what we like, so they're, they're disenfranchising more and more of their traditional groups who helped build them because there's a larger audience that will pay them more money in the now, but that group that is profitable to them now is not what built them and not what maintained them. So they are slowly taking something that was built into a cash cow and going to milk it dry, uh, which is really unfortunate, but I, I, yeah. To get on my own rant, I think that's what happens when you become a public company. But <laughs> yeah. anyways, moving on, I think you've got uh, a few last picks you want to get to, unless well, you've got any comments you'd like I've, to add on to what I said. I've, I've actually um, have a, a little bit of a retrospective 
you know, most retrospective that, that I think of is, is figuring out where I've won money and where I've lost money and just being able to think through, all right, what did I buy? When did I buy it? And how did I, how did I do? So my main emphasis over the last, let's say three months has been trying to figure out how can I buy cards that I think are going to go up in price. And I'm, I'm about a month in on this kind of process of thinking things through and figuring out what I want to buy and when I want to buy it. So I'm just thinking through all of these cards that I bought over the last, you know, month and, you know, laying them out here. So starting in April, you know, I, I just really got onto this idea of, all right, what are these really these, these mystical archives? What are these strict saving cards going to do? What are the you know, what about all of these other unique cards that are coming out right now? And what are we supposed to do with them? And how am I supposed to figure out what to, what to emphasis on? So I've got a few cards here that, that I just kind of liked and wanted to get on board with. The first one that I hopped on was, was Mizzix Masteries, the Strixhaven Mystical Archive. I ended up buying, bought eight copies at under three bucks a piece. Um, I, I really think the card's going to do well. Um, Let's, I'm, I just want to double check where they're at right now. You know, six and a half bucks. Nope. That's the Japanese etch foil. I'm sorry. Um, no, I see so, six and a half bucks for the Strixhaven Mystical Archive. No. Yep. There it is. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So that's TCG direct. It's going great. So I'm, I'm doing really well on, on that end, but I really got on Tainted Pact. Like I really like the card. Uh, I think it's a EDH staple. I think that people want to have it. I think that people want to play it. So I, I started buying when they got down to about 20 bucks. And I think I've got a dozen or so copies here uh, around that I bought anywhere from 17 to to $22. Well, it's not doing as well as I wanted it to, but it's kind of covered by the Mizzix Mastery as well. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's like 17 and a half bucks right now. I, I still think the card's going to go up, but it's a volatile market. When's mm-hmm. it going to go up? And what I'm realizing is, is I probably should have waited until midsummer when the slump really hits to start buying these. Yep. But you just think about that for a second. Slow down. Think things through. I love the card. I want to play it. Well, might as well buy it. So I did. Well, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes it gets better. Sometimes it doesn't. Um, I like what you I like what you mentioned though about waiting till later because it, it does become the magician's assistant, right? You see something that you love and you want to buy it now. Mm-hmm. But if you want the optimal buying opportunity, you have to wait till the next shiny thing presents itself and have the wherewithal to say, oh, this new thing is really pretty. But the thing that I thought was really pretty from the last set, I'm going to go back and buy that. Even though there's a newer, shinier thing now, that is something that I don't think human psychology will ever recover from. But I love that you pointed it out. Mm-hmm. And I think it's totally true because I personally... I want all of these Japanese mystical archives. I want all of them. I think the artwork is gorgeous. I will not yep. buy them now. I just won't. I'll wait for the next opportunity. Yeah. So I, I looked at Wandering Archaic. Bought a whole bunch of those. I think the card's great. I think it's going to be great no matter what you do. I think it's going to be something that every EDH player is yeah. going to want in about five years. And where are they going to get it? Well, come on, Ken. You could have bought it in six months and still make money off of it. But instead, mm-hmm. I've got a little bit of money wrapped up in it. That's fine. Bought it for five bucks a piece. So, you know, it'll take a little bit longer to make money on it. But yeah. the the things that I've been finding is, is that realizing that the lessons that we have 
are lessons of timing and sourcing mm-hmm. cards and then knowing your outs. And if you can figure those three things out, you get a whole lot better at it. I love that you have a just an app that buys cards for you. I love it because it gives you an opportunity to put into the facts of what you want to buy, when you want to buy it, and how you want to buy it. And once you automate it, you take your questioning out of it, which I think is great. Once you take your questioning out of it, then you've got no problems. You know, you you are going to make money. It's just a matter of how long is it going to take to out. And if you buy enough, then it kind of comes out in the wash. Yeah, my my biggest uh, my biggest regret from setting up the app is is mainly, and it's not a real regret. It's selling too soon. There are a number of opportunities, which is which is for the refinement. But I, yeah, it it is to that end. And honestly, it keeps it fun too, because part of the fun I think from the hobby is you know the meta changes. You know something. You know, you want to play this deck, you want to do this. So it's, you know, it's always keeping something new. Mm. I do think there's totally ways of doing that on the the finance level. It's just not been traditionally done. And also, I'll be honest with you, the methodology that I have does not scale well. But I think it is very fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, uh, I think that's what we've got for today's cast. I think that was, uh, I think that was good. I think we had about four more tangents than we uh, intended for. (laughs) <laughs> considering we did last minute planning what do you think ken i think the i think everything went as well as we could be expected to have it run mm-hmm. the way that we wanted it to the hard part is is i think my mic was off until we started the discussion on on cards that have come in and out and so one of the cool things is is we have an editor right now who's willing to you know take and and do some of this for us and if i have to re-record some things tonight i will that being said uh, is there anything else that you'd kind of like to share or other things that you'd like to, to touch on before we wrap up? Uh, Strixhaven Mystical Archives are tremendously undervalued. Yeah. Uh, I would begin to look at anything with a spell doubling effect. We've seen Primal Annulet double. Aetherflux Reservoir is on the way up. Proteus Staff, the other thing in my hand, Unwinding Clock. Uh, likewise, too, you see themes with vampires and, and massive self-sacrifice. You see it already with squirrels. We kind of expect it with a bit of a zombie theme coming up here and yeah. the new Innistrad, and especially with the vampires. Uh, why do you think my algorithm is buying Westfell Abbey? It's following market trends. It's following what people do. Uh, however, at the same time, uh, I see that I am also... I mentioned this at the beginning of the cast, kind of uh, at, at a hawk. I didn't know why I bought these cards, but as we've been here, I've been shuffling through all these cards, so I've thought it through. Double uh, XM, uh, these cards are modern yeah. staples. They're doing very, very well. And again, it's another set that was kind of supplemental, very short in stature in, in terms of its print run. Um, I think uh, all of these present opportunities, uh, if I were to explain why, why, why things are being bought. So throw that in there at the end for anybody who's stayed long enough, you get the cherry on top. <laughs> I love it. I am really looking forward to what's to come in the, in the next few weeks for us. Um, I am trying to keep my fingers on the, the pulse of buying and selling, and I may turn on my, my store again in the next week or two, but I packed all my cards up and I don't <laughs> know if I have time to pull them all out, uh, especially cards that I would want to sell. So we'll see what happens there. I, I want to make it work, but we'll figure it out. So 
Uh, I want to thank everybody for joining us this evening. It has been my pleasure to share with you about magic finance and collectible finance. And while many believe that this is Wolf's podcast with <laughs> Father Ken jumping in from time to time, no, this is this is Bandwidth Live. We appreciate all that you've done for us, how you've joined us here this evening, the questions that you've asked in the Discord, the questions that you ask, uh, you know, you know, following us on Twitter and in these different areas and different communities. We want to thank you for taking your time tonight. And in, I hope that you've enjoyed discussing collectible finance with our resources today. You can join us via the Patreon for as little as $15 a month to engage in our Discord and try out our tools that are constantly expanding and constantly available and always with a money back guarantee. Hope you've been, I hope that you have a good rest of your day. Thanks so much for joining us. Just guess.